If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. We've been in a series through the book of Daniel, and we come to these concluding verses, verses 5 through 13, as a note of comfort and a note of hope on which uh, this book will end for God's people. And just to give a little bit of a recap, I know we have some visitors, uh, some longtime friends. Welcome, Hartley. It's good to see you guys back. And others as well here. And so um, just a really brief recap. In these last couple chapters, uh, Daniel has been read to from this book of truth. And this book of truth is no book that any human eye has laid their eyes upon. uh, But rather, it is a book inscribed by God. And this book of truth contains the story of our world as God has authored it. And this book, though it contains difficult times for God's people, and it contains great conflict and trouble at times, yet, as we saw last week, this book ends on a surprisingly joyful note, a true happy ever after. And now, as this book is closed, the things that are contained within this book are still future for Daniel, and even for us, so this book is kept and preserved And Daniel now brings us to a conclusion regarding this final vision that he has received. Now, as a vision, of course, the things revealed to us here are symbolic. Uh, There is a symbolic nature to these things. And yet, as symbols, it doesn't mean they're not real or doesn't correspond to reality. Uh, God is revealing, again, the story of the world in which he has authored to us as his people that we might have hope. And hope is going to be one of the key words we're going to think upon even today. And something I'm sure all of us desire to have. True hope that gives us strength. So let's read Daniel chapter 12 beginning at verse 5. This is the holy and inspired word of God. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood. One on this bank of the stream and one on the bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, these are angelic figures, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, All these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, And the abomination that makes desolate is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. So far from God's holy word, let's pray that he might bless this word to us. Our Heavenly Father, our uh, desire is that you might speak and that we might hear uh, what you would have to say to us. We pray, Father, that as we hear of the great hope that we have according to your promises, we ask that by faith, as we have sung, that we'll walk 
even as you walk with us. And we ask, Father, that you then would speak until your church indeed is built and the earth is filled with your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To your congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we had begun thinking about this idea that the Christian life is not only lived by faith, but also in hope. And hope, if it's real, can be a powerful thing in someone's life. Indeed, somebody who has hope could appear seemingly invincible, right? If somebody has hope, no matter their circumstances, they appear seemingly unconquerable, unstoppable, no matter what comes their way. Hope is a powerful thing. And the Christian, you, if you are in Christ, have a great and strong hope. And part of that hope, I was thinking about even uh, just this morning, listening to some uh, worship songs on our way here. I was listening to one uh, song, which spoke of the hope that you have as a Christian in these terms. Jesus won't forget his own. What a wonderful thing. Jesus won't forget his own. And that is our great comfort and the great hope that we have. I can read some of the verses from that song. In the morning, as I pray, for the day that you have made, I have hope and I have peace, for your presence is with me. So whatever comes my way, Lord, remind me of this grace. I can face it with this hope. Jesus won't forget his own. In the evening, as I rest, I recall your faithfulness, how you never left my side from the morning to the night. Now until the dawning sun be the light that leads me on, I can face it with this hope. Jesus won't forget his own. For tomorrow, this I pray, Father, help me live your way, every breath and every word for the glory of the Lord. If the day should test my faith or fill my heart with songs of praise, I can face it with this hope, Jesus won't forget his own. From morning to evening and whatever comes tomorrow, we have this great hope. And that's what Daniel wants us to know as his book comes to an end. And as we think about the hope that Daniel teaches us here, we want to think about it under four points. First, the concern of our hope. Secondly, the confirmation of our hope. Thirdly, the contest of our hope. And then the consolation of our hope. The concern, the confirmation, the contest, and the consolation. All uh, belonging to the hope that we have. So first the concern of our hope. And this is given expression here in terms of a question that one of these angelic beings asks. Notice in verse 6, the one standing above the waters of the stream, and so this depiction here in this vision as he stands above the streams is to show his authority and his power, his sovereignty over um, the nations. Uh, Often throughout the book of Daniel, water, even the sea back in Daniel chapter 7, was a depiction of the nations of the world, always moving, um, always in flux, always changing. And here, standing above them, beyond the changing of the nations, the tumult of the world, this question is asked by this angelic being. How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? Right? And that's a, a concern that has been ex- is expressed throughout the scriptures. And a concern that every Christian at some point probably asks, and indeed does ask, how long? 
We know of the majesty of God. We know of the power of God. We know of the strength of God. We know he is king of kings. We know that this is his world. We know all of these things, and yet we're enduring trials. We're facing persecution. We're undergoing difficulties, and our heart's cry is, how long? Now, the question itself comes from a posture of faith, if you think about it. Because it assumes already that these trials and difficulties will not be forever, right? How long? How long will they endure? I know they cannot be forever. I know they cannot be endless. How long? That was the question that, of course, Daniel, I'm sure himself, desired to ask as he was revealed in these visions a great conflict, a great war that was to take place in which God's people were caught up in, a war that goes back to the very beginning in the garden, as God placed enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan, as they clash and as they conflict throughout the ages, right? And Daniel is revealed that that conflict will come to its greatest point, to its fiercest expression, and a later day, in which God's people, even as we're going to see in a moment, will indeed be shattered. And so Daniel asks, even this angel asks, and I'm sure Daniel thought about asking, how long? And again, that question reminds us that though it may be long, and though it may be longer than we want, or longer than we think it ought to be, or longer than in some sense, right, still there is a limit placed upon it. There is a limit placed upon the suffering that God's people will endure. There's a limit upon the suffering that you will endure for the sake of Christ in this world. The question, how long, is a proper one because it recognizes that God indeed is sovereign over the course of history. And while he may allow his people to suffer for a time, it will not be forever. And in this, we can recognize that this question expresses expresses the concern of our hope, right? It's our hope, a sure hope, a firm hope that indeed our suffering will have a point of end. But the question still remains, and it's not to be overlooked, how long? So that's the concern of our hope. Second, we are revealed the confirmation of our hope. Right As the question is asked in verse 6, so we see this response in verse 7. Notice what it says. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and he raised his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. All right, so this heavenly messenger um, raises not only his right hand, which was, an often, which was often done throughout the scriptures to express the solemnity, uh, the, 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 the seriousness of what is being said, the certainty, the confirmation, as his hands are raised to pronounce a sort of, or to take a kind of oath. But not only his right hand, but his left hand are raised to heaven. He swears by heaven itself. As sure as the heavens, as fixed as the heavens, is what he has to say. And he says that it will be, right, so the question how long assumed a limit, and he he answers by saying it will be by heaven itself, as sure as the heavens are, 
even as the God himself is in heaven, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. An interesting expression, right? Of course, the way it's expressed means that it's not given to us that we might understand a very exact timetable. Um, it's not given to us that we might pinpoint days and, and exact moments when these things will be, right? It's given to us to convey something else about this time period. Yes, first and foremost, it conveys the fact, times, times, and half a time, that it is indeed measured, that God indeed uh, has answered the concern of our hope, how long, that it indeed is measured and determined by God who is sovereign overall. We saw this reflected in the very book that God inscribed the story of the world upon. Indeed, whatever part of that story he has written in which his people would suffer, he has not made it forever, but he has measured it. He has determined it. And so while not revealed in exact detail, still we are given to know the comforting truth that God has determined it. And he has determined it in such a way that not a moment more shall pass than he has allotted for God's people to endure persecution. Indeed, this is reflecting what Daniel learned earlier back in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, as he confessed regarding God that he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding, right? He is the one who changes the times and the seasons, a time of persecution, a time of suffering. He is the one who allots it, and he is the one to change it, and he promised that he will indeed do it at some point, though that point remains beyond the vision of God's people. We don't know the exact moment, but we do know that it is indeed coming, that we should and can have a sure and true hope. Time, times, and half a time. It's measured. But also, as you think about the, the, um, the progression of those phrases, time, times, so from one to now two, to half a time. All right, there, there's a movement being expressed here in which God is revealing that evil, the wicked acts against his people, will prosper for a time. Time and times, it will seem as if it is growing, as if it is getting fiercer. And indeed, it will grow and get fierce. And more fierce than God's people have ever expressed. Right? This is what is revealed to us here in Daniel. Also, Jesus himself speaks of a time of tribulation in which his church will endure toward the end, prior to his coming again. Time and times, right? It's, it's, it's a progressing upward. It's, it's getting in, more intense. It's getting more fierce. It's growing. And it might seem, if you're living in the time to times, right? If you're living in that, it might seem as if there is no stopping the powers of evil, depicted earlier in Daniel, symbolically as these ferocious beasts ravaging the earth and ravaging the church. Right? Seeing that, you might say, is there no end? Their power is not being um, removed, but it's growing. They're, they're seemingly invincible, which is also expression we saw earlier in Daniel. These powerful enemies of the church appearing invincible in their strength, growing in their strength. Time, times, 
but to the comfort of God's people, half a time. Right? What seemed to be growing so exponentially, what seemed to be growing out of control, is cut short. Time times half a time. And that's what's being revealed here symbolically in this phrase. Though evil may grow, and the, the um, attacks against God's church may get more and more intense, even to the point in the end in which it seems as if the people of God are shattered on this earth. The days of evil indeed will be cut short. Dan, uh, Jesus speaks of this in Matthew chapter 24. That it will be, become visible and evident without question, without doubt, that while it may have appeared that those enemies of the cause of Christ grew so strong to the point that none could break their powers, yet God will intervene and God will indeed cut them down to size. Time, time, and half a time. Indeed, uh, it's revealed to Daniel that at the end of verse 7, when the shattering of the power of the people of God comes to an end, all these things will be finished, right? The, the, the plots of Satan, the attacks of him against the church, the holy people of God, will come to a point when their power is shattered. Is this not surprising? Right? You might expect to hear, do we not, right, the very opposite we might expect, right? We might expect to see when the power of the wicked people has been completely shattered, then when the power of the holy people are shattered, then comes the end. Sinclair Ferguson says, when the powers of darkness have done their worst against the kingdom of God and the truth of God has been set at a final devaluation, then God will act. Ian Duguid, a reformed commentator from Westminster, put this way. He said, certainly, in light of what Daniel is saying here, certainly there's no expectation here of a gradual Christianization of the world. The prerequisite for the end is not the final fixing of our world's brokenness. Rather, it is the final breaking of the holy people's strength. Such a statement may sound paradoxical, but it is God's consistent pattern of working in this world, moving through suffering to glory. The world's wisdom is constantly focused on strength and glory in the present. It tells me to have my best life right now. Yet if there is anything at all to be learned from the vision that Daniel has just seen in chapter 11 and 12, it is that the lives of God's people in this world will frequently be anything but the best. There are wars and rumors of war, persecutions and trials, the temple in Jerusalem being desecrated all over again, the faithful facing martyrdom by the sword and at the stake. God's wisdom is not the wisdom of the world. And in God's wisdom, the way in which we are cured of our brokenness is precisely through fiery trials and so on. This is the pattern of God's working in the world. And he demonstrated this power, this pattern, most noticeably, most evidently, most clearly in the life of his son, who came to suffer, who came to humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, suffering unto glory. Glory. 
And the church is patterned after our king. The church itself goes through periods of suffering, not to be remain in the grave, but through suffering to be received into glory. It's why earlier in Daniel 12, Daniel spoke, was, was, was spoken to of the resurrection. Daniel 12, verse 2, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And we said last week that what matters then, ultimately in the end, is not our circumstances in this world, but whether or not our name is written in the book of life. Right before that in Daniel 12, it says, At that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. That's what matters. And our hope is not found in our circumstances here. Our hope is found in our names being written in the book of God, which means Jesus does not forget his own. Your name is written. The name of his people are written so that no matter how powerful and fierce evil grows from a serpent to a dragon in the ending of the Bible, right? No matter how fierce and powerful, God will indeed cut him down to size. And though God's people may themselves endure death, crying out how long, God indeed will raise them to glory. Remember my Old Testament professor would always remind us, that the worst the world can do to you is kill you. And it's really not that, I mean, it's, you know, it's bad, but it's not that bad if you think about it. <laughs> Just think about it. I mean, as a Christian, right? The worst they could do, to, they, they can kill your body. They can't, they can't enact what the Bible speaks of as a second death, right? What awaits you is glory. What awaits you is heaven. What awaits you is your savior. What awaits you is a kingdom. So what? Live for Christ, die for Christ, if that is what you are called to. And that is our great hope. Again, not in our circumstances. You know, for us here, most of us are not likely going to be called to die for Christ. But indeed, think of Sheena's family in Pakistan. Think of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world where indeed they will die for the sake of Christ. And even in death, they have great hope. A hope that is certain and sure. A hope that's not tethered to their circumstances and whether they're prosperous or the church is prosperous in this earth or not. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, our hope is found in the fact that Jesus does not forget his own. Our names are written in his book. Time, times, half a time to the comfort of God's people. It is a way, in a sense, of depicting the history of the world in terms of the very resurrection of Jesus Christ at its center. Right? Where else could you look to to find a point in, in, uh, in history in which it seemed as if the wicked schemes of Satan prospered, but in the death of Christ, lifeless in a tomb? It, right? That's the, the, the peak of evil, the peak of their power, the Son of God, dead. Half a time. On the third day, Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, never to die again. Holds in his hands today the keys of death and Hades. And that same pattern, time, times, half a time, is the same pattern in which this world goes through. And God's church here on earth, the church militant, endures with great hope. And therefore, this text calls us then to, faithful, to faithfulness. 
and to live as faithful witnesses in this world, no matter our circumstances, and to keep our priorities straight, that our ultimate concern, while we are called to do good in this world, and we're called, as even as we saw in our first sermon, right, to be light in this world and salt in this world, and yet our hope is not found in this world. As light, as salt, we're, there's something different about the Christian, because our hope is found in Jesus Christ and in the kingdom that he is bringing. So we've seen the concern of our hope, and we've seen the, the confirmation of our hope, and we've also been dipping into our third point already, the contest of our hope, right? We had just drew out the point that our hope does not go untested, but our hope is tested as we face trials in this life. And so this is further fleshed out for us in verse 10. It says, and we'll go back to verse 8 and 9 in a moment for a fourth point. But notice verse 10 regarding the contest of our hope. It says, Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. So now we have another uh, 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 timeline that's given to us here. And it's the same period of the times, of the time times and half a time. Uh, it's the same period, the 1,290 days. But it's given in days to highlight for us the fact even more that it's measured by God. Not a day more but then you get this odd addition of 45 days, the 1,335 days. So what's going on here? Well, not that I have all the answers to this, but the one thing to think about here is that by adding these additional days, God is reminding his people that while it may seem long, it may be a little bit longer. That's kind of the expression that's, that's being told here. It's, it's, a, it's a call for patience. It's a call for endurance. It's a call to recognize that God acts according to his timeline. Notice, for example, what Peter says in 2 Peter 3. I think that kind of helps us to understand the addition of these 45 days that are symbolic. No. It says there in 2 Peter 3, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, right? So it's a call to patience. It's a call to entrust ourselves to the Lord, that while we are not given to know the exact timeline of future events and what this world, how the world is to end before Christ comes, yet we are to trust that God indeed has written the very day in which it will come and will end down. And while we may not know, and while we may desire for God to hurry, know that God is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient. He has his purposes, saving purposes, that his people might be brought in. And therefore, it's not for us to hurry God, but to trust him and to wait and to wait upon him for our strength. And so throughout this time then, 
as we might call and desire for it to come to an end, God is refining his people. That's, what is, that's the point here. So while we're patient and while we trust God, we also trust that what he brings upon us is refining. As it says, many shall purify themselves and make themselves pure white and be refined. The imagery here is that of a fire, right? And a fire doesn't make something what it's not, but a fire proves something uh, what it is. Right, you, you, you um, take a, a precious metal and put it into the fire. All the dross, the impurities are burned away. So what emerges is refined, it's purified. And so too, the trials in which God's people face during this time of time and times, right, of growing uh, opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ and his church, during that time, God's people are refined. It's not pointless or without purpose. We see this um, also expressed by Peter in 1 Peter uh, chapter one, verse four, at the ending of um, of the ending of that chapter, First Peter, verse four. Peter says this to the church: "Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. That's His coming again." If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if, he, if it begins with us, what will, be, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good, right? That's what our hope today calls us to do, right? As we face trials, we are in our hope to entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And that's why this, revi- this vision is revealed uh, to Daniel, So that while we face the contest of our hope and it is tested and tried, yet we can be assured that through that testing and through that trial, our faith will emerge more precious than gold. Our faith will emerge purified to the glory of God the Father. And therefore we can endure with this hope as Paul says in Romans 8, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And that leads us to our final point. The consolation of our hope. The consolation of our hope. Hope that is true, right, must at some point, be fulfilled, right? A hope that is forever just a hope is really just a dream that never comes to pass, right? But hope, for true hope, must have a conclusion. The book of truth in which God has inscribed the story of the world records not endless trouble for God's people, but indeed an end to all trouble for God's people. And this indeed is our consolation, And so Daniel is told 
First, in verse 8, rather in verse 9, the angel says, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Right? And so these words being shut up and sealed is not that they're kept secret, but that they are preserved. And they remain a source of strength and a source of hope for God's people, as they did in Daniel's day, even as they continue to do for us, as they're recorded for us here in our own day. And again, the same thing is repeated in verse 13. But go your way till the end. And notice this consolation. Uh, a wonderful word if you think about it. Consolus, with solace, with comfort, right? This is the consolation of God's people. Expressed to Daniel, but true of all of us who have trusted in Christ. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Daniel is revealed to, to Daniel is revealed here the great hope of resurrection. That again, though God's people may endure trouble, that trouble will not be forever. We will come into the rest that God has won for us. And this word is sure. This is our hope and our hope fulfilled. And we again have the great assurance that we indeed will rest like Daniel. And we indeed will stand in the end of days like Daniel. Because God on the third day raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And as sure as Christ is today alive, so sure is your hope that one day you will enter his rest. And one day you too will stand in your allotted place, in his kingdom, in his presence forevermore. That is the great consolation of our hope. And it's grounded with absolute certainty by the blood of Jesus Christ sealed for us in him. So I want to conclude as we think about, as we've thought about the hope that we have. And as we said in the beginning, right, a person who has hope can be, no matter their circumstances, unstoppable, unconquerable, unwavering. And so to the church, with the great hope that we have, ought to stand in Christ, and we can stand in Christ, unconquerable. And so as we think then about the, very, the fulfillment of our hope in Christ, we're brought, of course, to the very end of Scripture. We're brought to that final vision in which our hope, that consolation that we spoke about is realized. And John himself receives a vision of that future. He says this, that I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and the first heaven have passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. These words are trustworthy and true.
brothers and sisters, believe what God has said. Believe his word and take for yourself this hope that you too, in Christ, with his people, might stand in your allotted days, allotted place at the end of days, and that you too, with God's people in Christ, might have hope today and tomorrow and until Christ comes again, that we together might be unconquerable despite the trials that may come, that we might be unstoppable despite the opposition that may come to the spread of the gospel. May we stand and go our way as Daniel went his way, living for God's glory as we go out into a new week, into a new month, and to serve and glorify him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, what a wonderful thing, a marvelous thing that we have a word from you, a word that we would never have learned apart from you speaking it to us and giving it us, giving it to us here preserved in your word. So Father, as that word has been heard and proclaimed, we pray that it would too be received, that it would be planted in, the, in uh, good soil in our hearts, that it might bear fruit in our lives, such fruit that brings you honor and glory, fruit that gives us hope that we might live as your people without fear. For the glory of Christ's name we pray. Amen.